So where do you where do you stand now when it comes to the rewrite? Like where are you? How much do you have left, or how do you feel? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's hard to put in a number, um, mm -hmm. but um, uh, so the platform has two sides. It has the user level, we call it, which is what you know the normal employees of a client would go and yeah. they would see the result of uh, of the campaigns and stuff. Um, and there's the uh, the admin side where the which is business wise much more important because the admins uh, are in direct contact with us and they have also the purchasing decisions right if they mm -hmm. want to renew their contract um, so we started putting a lot of effort into rewriting the admin side of things yeah uh, first to add new features as I said this uh, charts this thing. Um, uh, then, then we said, then we had to actually rewrite uh, something that the, the last feature we did in Node was so buggy, mm. unbelievably buggy for very obscure reasons that we we put in a lot of effort to rewrite that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was the main interface where you would manage your ideas and stuff. So we had to rewrite that. Um, and um, rewrites are funny because or at least the rewrite we're doing is funny because they tend to have the snowball effect mm. uh, so i was doing an internal presentation and i was i put on a screenshot of i don't know if you were playing the civilization kind of games mm -hmm. um where you have this technology tree right that says oh you you know it, and it goes from the most primitive to the most advanced so yeah. you know you you can't invent libraries if you haven't invented writing mm -hmm. um, so uh, the rewrite we were doing had a lot of this element in the sense that, um, you know, we don't have a GraphQL resolver to read a comment. So in order to build this feature, we have to build that resolver, right? If you want to show a comment, you mm -hmm. have to like fetch the comments from from, right. from the backend and define the GraphQL spec and all that stuff. Um, so initially, like it feels like you're doing a ton of work to get something on the screen, right? Uh, but the next the next time you have to do something, you have already so much available. Right. Um, so now we have a lot of the critical stuff in the admin side done, and people are using it, and nobody complained. Nobody even understood. I think we got a few comments, oh, the, the interface is so much snappier now, mm -hmm. because that was React. It wasn't us. It was just the way React works compared yeah. to the other things. Uh, but it's still nice to to, to hear it. Um, and now we moved our attention to the user level, which is not as easy to release in a bit by bit uh, because it's all connected much more fluid, you know, with models and pop-ups and stuff like that. So, hmm. um, but we were from, I, I would say we are more than half done uh, and <laughs> the next half is more, design decisions that will delay us um, or like that will take up time and stuff rather than yeah i think i think for the api we are more than 90 percent done the back end i mean yeah uh more than 90 percent done we actually uh to make sure to remove some bugs we actually went the other way around and now the the jquery front end um is served by the graphql layer Mm -hmm. So we did, we put in a small translation layer at the closure side of things where 
those web circuit messages I was talking about, um, we there's a small node shimp that sends mm -hmm. them over to closure. They get interpreted if uh, and if they can be served, we return the response based on a GraphQL query. So uh, I think, yeah, more than 90% of the code is actually served by Closure now of the server. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a very nice feeling, right? The, it's the nicest feeling is when you say, well, probably this node code isn't used anymore. We could probably delete it or yeah uh you know whenever you interact with an idea uh it's all within one code base because then the the hardest thing with a rewrite is you are constantly thinking okay is this where should i look for this should i look right. in the old code or the new code is this should i recreate this bug in like the old code has a specific behavior which is considered buggy from a business perspective should right. i recreate that in the new code or should i go and change it in the old code Right. Both those you can't have inconsistencies, right? Because mm. users will be very confused. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah. Mm -hmm. ninety percent on the back end, I would say, and more than fifty in the front end, mm -hmm. uh, and accelerating, which is very good mm -hmm. for the right. morale. Yeah, I think this whole approach of introducing this uh, middle layer, if you are the GraphQL layer for the rewrite, I think it's a it's a really good approach, right? Because then you you just like remove like you're just decoupling the, the things from one thing to another, uh, that allows mm. you to just work this through, right? Yeah. yeah, we have also a bonus rewrite added in the mix because we actually started rewriting from Mongo to Postgres, or not rewriting, but uh, right. <laughs> so I don't know, like it it. All those things, it, they all start from a business decision. So we had we had a feature that wanted to count. You know, you have the users on the platform, and you want to find the most active users, right? And that yeah. is, let's count how many ideas, how many comments, how many likes, and all that stuff. So we can sort the table and show you the top ten. Yeah. Um, and doing that with Mongo, surprisingly difficult, uh, yeah. because Mongo doesn't have joins. So you either have to write a join engine in Clojure, mm. uh, or if you use the native Mongo joins, we actually did that. Yeah. And for some very big, not so big, you know, 40,000 users or something, um, which is not very big, uh, it took 90 seconds to render the, get, get the results back. Mm. Because that's how Mongo works. Like we, right. you, and I did an experiment. Uh, if I would fetch all the data in memory and do the all the calculations in closure, it took like 15 seconds or something. Mm -hmm. But obviously not a very good decision because you might run out of memory, so it wouldn't scale easily. Mm -hmm. um, but I did a I did an experiment and I dumped all the data as is from Mongo. Like we we were using Mongo in a very relational way. Um, yeah. So a lot of separate collections that could very easily be converted into tables. Mm -hmm. um, so I dumped it to a Postgres uh, instance, and it took 0.2 seconds mm -hmm. with no indexes or anything. Right. So just the brute brute force Postgres was two orders of magnitude faster. Right, right, right. So we said, okay, that sounds like. Uh, <laughs> It it takes you from a feature that no user would like to use because it was so slow to be unusable to something that's you know just in the background. Right. So we started to 
to write this um, this engine or this this uh, this process that was constantly pushing new data from Mongo into Postgres and dealing with updates and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And we were lucky; some good decisions by the original architect was audit logs and uh, things like that. And you could so for every change that you make to a Mongo collection, mm -hmm. you would first take uh, insert an audit log in an audit log collection with um, pointers to the new and the old things. So mm -hmm. all we had to do is just you know pull that collection and to some extent i'm glossing over the details but essentially sure. there's five new, there's five new records one deleted two updated so let's go and mirror that in postgres and yeah. for good measure once a day wipe the whole thing and start over mm -hmm. so we're still writing into mongo in the in in everything but the closure code now reads from postgres and we're 70 percent there i think mm -hmm. with the transition yeah. and we generally put in some rules right so i think it's a good rule of thumb Every new thing you do in uh, the new way, so yeah. be that new code or Postgres um, or something else, um, everything you change, you try to rewrite and then change that if yeah. it makes sense. So that way you're not, you don't have these, oh, we spent three weeks or a month just rewriting right. with no guidance. You So, but we, as features come in and as customer demands. One time at a time, we, yeah. Yeah, one at a time. And yeah. we, we recently converted, uh, we were using HoneySQL for this SQL generation and we did the same conversion from HoneySQL version one to HoneySQL version two. Yeah. Um, and they were living side by side and we had the same rule. Um, whenever you write a new query, use HoneySQL version two. If you have to rewrite an old query, First converted, make sure the tests pass, and then, um, yeah. and and then yeah, add the new thing on top of that. Mm -hmm. And we ended up completely removing HoneySQL version one like two yeah. weeks ago. Uh, it was very anti-climactic. It was ju just so easy, no mm -hmm. drama, no fuss. Yeah. Um, and the crucial decision there is what Sean Corfield, the maintainer of HoneySQL, did was yeah. allowing the two things to live side by side. Yeah. Um, so we could have both at the same time. And that's, I think, the whole thing, uh, the, the whole idea of this rewrite was let's keep the two things running side by side. Mm -hmm. Let's not feel antagonistic about, oh, this has to burn. Although, you know, sometimes you when you're working on the legacy code, you feel like, yeah. I want to burn this thing to the ground, but you have to remember it's still propping up the whole platform. Yeah. It's still giving you tons of value. Uh, so don't rush to rewrite it, like focus on the weakest bits and then then when time comes, you can actually mm. do it. Yeah. Uh, so question, like how do you approach uh, uh, choosing technologies or APIs or the libraries, like, do you, I mean, you sort of started to talk about this when you say you did some kind of like quick test or anything like this, but what's your normal approach to that? Mm. Ah, that's an interesting question. Um, one thing, one thing that, uh, so it's kind of different between the server and the browser because mm -hmm. the browser you touch upon the JavaScript ecosystem. Mm -hmm. quite a bit and there kind of all bets are off uh, so i tend to be very conservative with javascript libraries mm -hmm. especially the more ambitious they are the more suspicious i get um, so we we don't use a lot of react stuff uh, 
uh, like things like the the mainstream libraries, React Router. We don't use that. Mm -hmm. We we use uh, Rated, mm -hmm. uh, which is a closure library that does routing that is both server and right. packing. We only use the front end mm -hmm. part of Rated for now. Um, but it's uh, under our full control. And what these libraries are doing in the, the JavaScript ecosystem isn't that complex, right? So, uh, but they tend to rewrite every nine months, and that's true. React Router is at version seven or eight or something. Mm. Um, and I just don't want to do that so yeah. often. Um, right. uh, so the, I think we are using things like animations and stuff like that. We use one of these React uh, Spring or something, mm -hmm. uh, which they, they also did a rewrite recently and they changed their API. And I'm so mad about mm. that. Uh, because now you have to upgrade, right? You, you can't use it side by side. You have to upgrade to the new version. And you have to find every place in your code that uses it and see if it works still or not. Right. Um, so, yeah. So we we started using a lot of libraries when we began, and we started we as we went on, we started either vendoring them in. So we took took the code and stored it next to us, or if it was a very small one, just copied from GitHub. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah left it at that if it's so small that it would you wouldn't expect it to change there's no obvious bugs there's nothing uh there's nothing to worry about for the future it's easier to just keep it in as a javascript file or rewrite it in closure as a utility function mm -hmm. um uh, so it's usually the things that wouldn't make sense for us like there's a lot of accessibility stuff we have to do or we want to do and keyboard navigation and stuff mm -hmm. and Doing that requires you to invest quite a lot of knowledge in how things should be and how to implement it in the browser. And every six months, something changes in the ecosystem. Um, so what we said is, look, look okay, uh, if we can find a library that creates a good select accessible component, Mm -hmm. You know, this the drop down component, which is the, the select in HTML, is notoriously difficult to style. So, every designer mm -hmm. has to have their own thing with icons and images and checkboxes and stuff like that. Right. Um, so, doing that one on your own is probably not, it's not a good investment of your time mm. uh, because a lot of effort, a lot of edge cases, and you don't learn anything. It's very niche. Um, if it's something that so we took a library for that mm -hmm. um, eventually. <laughs> um, right. If it's something that taking the library adds in dependencies or complexity and we could rewrite it in a couple of hours with the same functionality, I would say let's let's write our own. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in the front end, that was the main driving factor. Mm -hmm. The bundle size, I don't care too much mm. um, because we can split the code and... It's a full, full-on, you know, ad, corporate application. So it's not people casually happening upon this. Yeah. Um, we use Prose Mirror for the editing, which was a nice, a nice mm -hmm. experience for a pure JavaScript component, very well built. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, you wouldn't build your own HTML editor, right? You would definitely find something out there. Mm -hmm. um, so we are a very small team. So the whole point is let's optimize our time for the things that matter. Um, for the server, we don't have a lot of libraries, actually. We have 
Lassini, of course, has for the GraphQL stuff. Uh, we have a few, I think, Apache libraries to do things like content detection, so oh, like um, file detection. So you get a file and you can read the first 10 bytes and you can with some confidence say that this is a PDF or a JPEG mm -hmm. or something. Uh, JSoup to handle HTML parsing on the server. Uh, you know, JSON encoding. Mm -hmm. no, it's it's a very simple app, right? Which is why why it was all the more maddening that such a simple application that doesn't do anything complex um, it can be so convoluted and mm -hmm. so impossible to understand that you need to do a rewrite. Um, Interesting. But uh, yeah, I don't have too much insight <laughs> about yeah. that. So uh, I I will usually go and read read yeah. some libraries code, mm -hmm. uh, just browse through and see. Especially with JavaScript, I'm very suspicious of JavaScript yeah. authors. Not that they will do something malicious, but they will yeah. just overcomplicate things with, for no good reason. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would go read some and prototyping. See if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting, you know. So I I had to do a rewrite of an application, uh, or I didn't have to, but I end up doing. And I think it took me like four or five attempts uh, to do it. Um, so the front end was pretty messed up. Um, and I think yeah, I tried once, it failed. I tried the second time, it failed. The third time was a bit better. And it's just like iterative process. So I think you just need to allow yourself a bit, also some uh, space, if you will. That yeah, on the first time, the things not always work as you wish. So. Uh, and mm. pick, picking the light li like uh, picking the right library initially uh, that you think it's a good fit uh, might not be. You just need to experiment and just try the API and see how it all fits together. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of uh, I I like this word uh, scaffolding, which is mm -hmm. uh, you know the structure you build before you build the building. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and it feels like for our rewrite, we we actually went through that. So the first thing we tried was actually, um, so w we, we called it the wormhole. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, and it's mostly fronted, like rewriting the backend stuff was very straightforward. Nothing, mm -hmm. you know, with HTTP, you have a lot of things you can proxy and like yeah. do things. But with, with, with a UI, that's difficult because um, you have a UI, people know know it. You can't redesign it completely. You have to keep it looking as before with the same navigation elements and stuff. Yeah. Um, so the first the first idea we had is, okay, let's take the old UI and let's keep the navigation like the top navigation, the left navigation, and just take the div, the main div that's inside, right? Mm -hmm. And then let's put React into that div. Right. So we'll keep the outside as is. Uh, but inside that div, we'll put React. So that's why it's the wormhole, mm. because it takes you to another dimension. Yeah. Um, and we tried that, and it was possible, but uh, we, ha we had two issues, nothing to do with Clojure, by the way. It was like CSS was leaking all over the place. Mm. So we didn't want to use the old CSS uh, file, so we started CSS from scratch, because again, over seven years and yeah. Uh, yeah, people learning on the job how CSS works, you couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, so we started from scratch. Mm. Uh, but now CSS rules from the old CSS file, which was loaded to render the outside things, were leaking into mm -hmm. our thing. And CSS didn't have at the time, I think now there's a 
global reset that you can mm-hmm. uh, focus on a specific element. But back then, uh, that wasn't there. We also had to support I11, which complicated things even more. Mm. Um, so we had CSS leaking down there, and it was a hit and miss process. Um, we also had JavaScript events mm-hmm. leaking because how React installs the event handler on the the window, but then the other library also did that. Mm. So events were handled by both. So yeah, after a few tries, it wasn't worth the complexity mm. uh, to try and do it this, this way. So the wormhole approach was kind of um, a failure. Mm. But we still had the backend and the components, right? We didn't have to throw them away. We just we had to also recreate the navigation. Mm. So the next the next approach is we we modified the the, the old code to say, oh, this URL. I shouldn't handle, uh, it should go to something else. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, you have in a, in a few key, like two key places in the old code, we did that. And then when you hit the URL and we also had feature flags and the feature flag was on, mm-hmm. then the page would reload like a full reload. And now you get served from scratch, the mm. new application, which is React and Clojure and Clojure and everything. So the user sees it as a full page refresh, which is not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, but as that, as the new front end grows, yeah. you get fewer and fewer of them, right? Right, Because uh, if, you, if you navigate to a, a place that is already rewritten, you don't get the full page. Right. So this full page refresh allows us to go the, do this mm-hmm. rewrite from a clean slate. Yeah. Um, and we just have to keep the UI roughly the same. So, you know, if it's a pixel uh, lost here and there or a different shade of blue or something, because also we're doing a redesign. So I think the most dangerous things with rewrites is you have, especially at the beginning, you have to be very laser focused. So mm. uh, after two years of this, we kind of allowed ourselves uh, for morale and also it made some, it made some sense. We allowed ourselves some Latitude. Let's say, okay, since we're doing this, perhaps we should look into having a proper design system for our components and not just right. making them arbitrary. So now you have a design system. Now you have a designer that says, "Hey guys, um, this thing we did a year ago. Now we have to bring it up to date." The design system. So you are putting more work in front of you, um, and that at the later stages of a rewrite makes sense because you also want it to make better. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, you have to be ruthless and say, we're doing the, the quickest work possible to get the, this thing in production. Mm-hmm. I think this is what made the project in a success, an ongoing success, like, let's get this thing into production as soon as possible. Let's not wait until anything. Um, uh, and we, we did this in two ways, like uh, the first thing I mentioned, the, the feature flags. Mm-hmm. Um, which we did our own implementation because so uh, we we have a lot of tenants. We have we you know we are a software as a service. We have tenants, and mm-hmm. uh, we actually use uh, the platform in, internally as well for communications and for just you know to to use it daily. So we know how it if anything is broken or mm-hmm. have ideas and stuff like that. So um, so we created a system where we had feature flags per tenant, so not per user, but mm-hmm. for the whole platform, is that on or off? Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
Fiji flags are very like they're a very good psychological trick because they give you the confidence to do crazy things and you know if something if this implementation is buggy i can just click a button no deploys no waiting no figuring out what mm -hmm. the bug was and things go back to normal right uh, and then i have the confidence and the time to fix fix the problem uh, mm -hmm. At, at my leisure, not under stress because some client is waiting on the other side of the mm -hmm. phone call. Um, so, so we did that in the very beginning that we said, uh, we put the feature flag logic in the old code, uh, and said, Hey, if this, if this URL is in the, is, if this is the URL and you're also in the feature flag, um, and, uh, let's, let's go to the new code and. Mm -hmm. That means that means that you can you are forced to confront all the production issues very early. Mm -hmm. So once you build the path to production, uh, then you are free to iterate, right? If it's not in production, if it's not merged into master, uh, then it's very you 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 say okay, let's let's add this this little thing more before we release. Let's add this little thing more before we release, yeah. and then the months, the weeks pass, the months pass, and it's still not visible to any user. Which was it is the whole point of writing software, right? It has to be visible to users. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still learning about this. So I, I'm still learning how to do this more mm -hmm. aggressively. Mm -hmm. um, right, but, ship uh, it to the production and just turn it on and off, and then yeah, yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Right. Um, very cool. Um, would there be anything else you would like to share? I feel like we went through a lot, and you shared very vividly some of the things, which is really appreciated. Yeah. Oh yeah, I have I have one thing yeah. like uh, some something that is that came to my mind recently about um, I think there was this blog post about closure having a rails, right? Um, closure uh, having what? I'm sorry. Um, there, there was a blog post recently about something about closure should have a rails. A oh, rails framework, framework. right? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and. Um, I don't want to get into the blog post specifically because that's a whole different discussion. But I was always thinking that, hey, um, are we like is closure an overkill for what we're doing, for what I'm doing now in this company? Should if if the original people have used Ruby on Rails or Django or something, yeah, uh, would there be a need for all this messy rewrite and drama and everything? And mm. I think the answer is. Um, yeah, if I think if they used Rails, they would be their success now would be much better than where we are. We, they would have a ton of more features mm -hmm. um, in in production than we would had, and um, mm -hmm. just because Rails is a was a very good fit for what this platform was designed to do, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, and then the natural question in my head was, why didn't we choose Rails? Other than I, I didn't know Rails, I didn't want to use Rails for mm -hmm. aesthetics or something, but would it be a good idea to use Rails um, when we did the rewrite? Uh, but then then the, the, the answer is to, to me is no, because Rails is very inflexible. So this is what I loved about Clojure when I started mm -hmm. Clojure, is that it is so flexible, like, it fit. It it allowed us to do this thing, like this very niche thing, or oh, a rewrite of a project uh, bit by bit, uh, right. while keeping the old things in production. Right. Um, 
because Rails is a framework with opinions, right? So you, it wouldn't allow you to say, I have this Mongo, Mongo collection structure mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so you have to conform to that. Rails would say, well, no, we don't use Mongo. We use SQL. So we would have to do a complete rewrite. And that's, right. that's the beauty of Clojure is that it is so powerful that it allows you to do a very yeah. targeted rewrite without having to sacrifice power, speed, uh, flexibility, anything, right? right? It was just the best tool I could think of to mm. do this thing um, with, especially when you are into debug mode and you don't really know. With Mongo, you don't know the shape of your data, right? You, you have uh, an idea uh, of what goes in and you can explore perhaps with a data browser. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we also had the REPL in production mm -hmm. extremely early. Mm -hmm. So we could actually ask questions about across tenants, say, you know, there's this feature. Is anybody using this feature? I'll just go inside my REPL and run a few queries across tenants and cross-tabulate and spit out a result in, you know, 10 minutes time. Mm -hmm. um, so this is also a superpower when you don't know exactly the shape of your right. data. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was I'm I'm very happy actually about this whole this whole effort. Uh, like closure is is not a point of um, we don't folk, when we work on the day to day we don't talk about closure. We talk about features, designs, um, needs. Um, we we spend relatively very little time arguing about how to write mm -hmm. the code. Um, uh, and more about what is it doing, which is, I think, to me, the 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 show the show of a good yeah. good language. And we never had any issue with any right. of the ecosystem, like you know, changing things under the hood or yeah. uh, in, introducing uh, backwards compatibility issues. Nothing like we just never right. have to think about those things. So right, yeah, I think that's, that's why the, that's the power of Lisp, right? You can bend it to your needs, and it will not break. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Lisp. I, d I don't know about Lisp. I've, I tried to write Emacs Lisp and it was not the same experience. Yeah. Uh, but closure, this whole thing, this ideals. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody who comes on this podcast kind of shares the thing. Right. So yeah. shares the same the same thing that yeah. the fact that the community and the the, the stewards of uh, of closure they they have given out this uh, direction of let's not break right. user code. Let's not break. Break things, uh, yeah. backwards compatibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that allows my team and myself to just move on with our lives without having to think about stuff mm. uh, too much. And I think Java, to some extent, shares this thing. Mm -hmm. um, not, yeah, JavaScript not so much. But <laughs> uh, and that's why you know we have to. I can keep talking about React for another hour, but that's right. a topic topic of a different yeah. different time. Sure. Um, no, but uh, yeah, I'm just grateful that I get. To, I think I found the language that will stick to me for years and years. Cool. Um, if I can, if if I can have any say on it, I don't see for this kind of development. Yeah. I don't see the need to have anything else. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it was great. It was great to chat to you about all of this, the experience, yeah, the whole you. story. I think it was very, uh, 
very revealing everything what you talk about and uh, thank you so much for sharing all this uh, yeah. yeah well thank you great. for inviting me uh, it was it was great having the opportunity cool well yeah. uh, i will catch you somewhere on the internet and uh, once again thanks for taking the time yeah thank you all right Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating it on your platform and telling others about it. You can also support it directly by buying subscription at closure.stream or sponsoring it on GitHub sponsors. All the details in the show notes below.